Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Stories. Log Talk Radio. Reach the Is it still? Sorry. Pull up right there. You got it. Renegade. Why? Am old head and new jack swinging on the serious B star of Sepidet, street minister and priestess, new African hippie juju woman. I am wearing dashikis over denims, mud cloth newsboy caps, sideways cocked over free flowing locks. The spiritual mother messenger of power has returned, strong enough to go against the flow, product of my ancestors, yet my own trademark, launching my own publicity campaign. But my propaganda is not about me. It's about the hypnotized community which bought into the Everything's Cool commercials. See me and know I am your caffeine clarion call. The alarm clock you can't shut off. The sister blowing up your cell phone. The renegade voice outside your window screaming, Get up! Because it ain't just about waking up. It's about being about our business. Knowing that Dinkin's so-called beautiful mosaic is a myth. I've been battling life on the real. Carpetbagger landlords. Light paychecks when bills are due. Clerks checking out my skin tone before checking out my order. Arrogant young bloods cryptically fighting on the wrong side and playing into genocide. Crossing streets to miss crossfire when I'm just trying to get home. I'm not trying to get fixated on superficial prettiness to lull me back to sleep. The Big Brother War is on. We ain't won yet. Jump in or get jumped on, but first you gotta see what's coming down on you. The indoor, outdoor, prison, industrial complex. Slavery ain't gone nowhere. The boss man's drugs, unjust jailing, and me-ism slowed the roll, but we've got to finish what we started in the 60s and 70s. Just bringing back the fashions ain't getting it. So, I battle making beats on my djembe, my ankh at the ready, Tucked in my backstrapped guitar bag, sporting lapa, minister's collar, medicine bag, and take saying motherland, or t-shirt emblazoned with the U.S. and a brother's smiling face reminding you we were here first. Rejecting poison, fleshing my teeth to put meat on my bones. Drinking the pure water of my venerated ancestors' river. I am the byproduct of my ancestors. A renegade voice from the mythic mosaic hollering up and down the road for the generations coming up. Tayahimba, we stand together as a nation. Harambe, pull together. Ashe, we have the power to make it so. Amen. Renegade. Why? Can you hear me now? Good. All right. Well, that was someone else's story, Queen Mother Amatu, who is also a um, host of a show on Main Street Universe. Um, and her, I encourage all of you to tune in and listen to her on her night. But that's my night. So as I was saying, everybody tells stories. And as I grew up, I began to learn um, that stories really, they just grabbed hold of me, and I spent so much so that I went to college to be a creative writing major and spent, you know, 30-odd grand plus devoted devoted to storytelling. And then I came out of college doing absolutely nothing and ended up finding very hard to make a living off of those stories. Um ended up being jumping around from job to job until I came to one that just really grabbed me and had nothing to do with what I went to school for. Uh, I took a job in human services, working um, as direct care staff at a school 
at a, a res school for young people with disabilities. Um, some of you might have heard me talking about this when I was a guest on earlier shows um, and other Main Street Universe shows. Um, but I, I found out that this job did not quite it had a it had a little bit more to do with my love of stories than I initially thought. Um, when you're working with young people, sometimes they want to hear a good story. And it was working in this job that I discovered the first function of stories, storytelling, um, which is to distract. And honestly, you really didn't need to teach. I really didn't need to learn about this function growing up watching a lot of sci-fi and reading a lot of science fiction and fantasy and dreaming of escaping from bullies into a portal to Narnia, I already knew a little bit about the role of escapism and its importance in life. But I began to learn how to wield it. Uh, let me give you an example from a day at this job. Um, I would sometimes work as break staff, and break staff is the most coveted role of the, of um, this resident school. If you walked in and you found out you were on the schedule as break staff, you would do a little dance because basically what that meant is you would go around to each suite of residence and give the regular staff who worked there half-hour breaks. And they loved you. You were like Santa Claus because sometimes, actually more often than not, they tended not to get breaks um, just because there wasn't enough staff to designate a break staff. Now, this could be great because it meant that the kids would get somebody new to hang out with that hadn't been nagging them all day or whatever. Sometimes they get sick of their, sick of their regular staff, so a lot more often than not, they were happy to see you. And like I said, to the staff, you were Santa Claus. They got to go out and have their coffee and have a peace and quiet for a half hour. But this isn't true for all of the kids. Uh, in fact, for some of them, having any kind of change in a routine would be very uncomfortable. And it was then that my um, storytelling skills came into effect. For one student um, resident, he had a speech disorder. And if he didn't have his regular staff that worked with him more often than not, then he couldn't guarantee that he'd be heard. Because once you got to know him and you got to know his quirk, the quirks of his speech disorder, he became very easy to understand. But sometimes he'd get somebody completely new who for, half, for one half hour would have no idea what he was talking about. And imagine being somebody with some kind of with conditions that already give you a high level of anxiety and a difficulty transitioning and change. And throw in the fact that if you lose your regular staff, you lose the person that could basically translate for you and make sure your needs are being met. So I come in there and I sit down and I tell him his staff is going on break and I am greeted with a giant F you and he starts yelling and screaming and um, on, a, on a bad day it could end with a punch in the nose for me, for me, um, from him. So I wait him out and what I say very simply to him is, all right, but if you don't hang out with me for the next half hour, how are you going to hear this new story I've been saving just for you. It's really scary. I mean, you know, if you don't want to hear it, that's fine, but it's up to you. And usually he would yell for about, you know, two or three minutes. He'd be upset, and then he'd come down, and I'd sit down, and he'd sit down next to me, and he'd say, what's the story? And so now I want you guys to get comfortable because this is the part of the show where I share the story. Um, and the story today that we're going to be focusing on and talking about and using that I think really highlights the, the four functions of storytelling is the tale of Baba Yaga and Vasilisa the Brave. This is one of my favorites. And it's very, very popular with the um, 14 to 18 crowd or 12, even younger than that, simply because it involves a lot of bones and skeletons and creepy elements. But beyond that, this story... Has, has many powerful messages and mer very much demonstrates these four functions. So I'm going to share it with you, just as I shared it with this young man when he finally sat down beside me. Now, once upon a time, there was a little girl named Vasilisa. She lived with her father, and like so many girls, 
people in fairy tales. She had a wicked stepmother and evil stepsisters. Her mother had died when she was very little because this is a fairy tale and some family member, fairy tale can't begin until some family member has been killed off. And all that she had left of her mother was a doll. And there wasn't any ordinary doll. You see, her mother had left her instructions on her deathbed. Take care of this doll, Vasilisa. Feed it. Speak to it. And every day, once you've shared with it what you have, tell it your problems, and it will give you good advice. Always listen to it. And Vasilisa had done this because she was a good and dutiful daughter. And she had gotten very used to the fact that when things seemed bleak, she listened closely. She could hear kind words, and she could get good advice from this doll. Now, Vasilisa was a very hard worker, and her mother-in-law, her stepmother and her stepsisters didn't like it because she tended to make them look bad. She would clean the house, she would cook dinner, and her father would come home and berate them and say, why can't you be helpful and useful like my daughter? And they were kind of getting sick of it, and the stepsisters knew who was the favorite and who was going to be inheriting, and they and the stepmother began to plot against poor Vasilisa. That morning they woke up very early, and before Vasilisa could tend the fire, they took a bucket of water and dumped it on the fireplace. Now, this is a Russian fairy tale, and I always assume it takes place in the heart of some frigid, cold Russian winter where the wind is howling outside, and Vasilisa knows if that fire has gone out, then she and her father will have no hope of surviving. story I always tell the kids also takes place before the invention of matches and lighters. So going about and getting a spark for that fire is a little bit more complicated. Oh, Vasilisa, don't worry about it, said the stepmother. I'm going to send you to my grandmother's house. She'll give you a coal from her fire and something to carry it in, and you can bring it back here and relight our fire. But if you don't, your father is going to freeze to death tonight. She gave Vasilisa directions to her her grandmother's house, and Vasilisa bundled herself up and packed a small satchel of scraps from last night's dinner, and of course she took with her her doll. Now, Vasilisa went off to the forest, and she followed her mother that mother's directions as best she could. But as she was walking, her doll said to her, Vasilisa, wait. You know this isn't the way to your grandmother, your step-grandmother's house. This road leads to the hut of the Baba Yaga, the witch who lives on a house that dances on chicken feet and whose home is surrounded by a gate of bones and who eats any visitors that don't meet up, meet her standards, this is a trap. Your stepmother only wants to get rid of you. And Vasilisa was just ready to despair and sit down in the middle of the road and give up because what could she, this little farm girl, hope to do against the powerful Baba Yaga? But she knew that if she didn't get this call from her, her family would surely freeze. So she told the doll, I have to continue anyway. And the doll said, that's fine. Listen to me. Take my advice. We'll get through this together. So Vasilisa ventured off into the woods until she got to the deepest, darkest part of the forest. And there was a clearing, a light at the end of the dark path, and she walked into it. And there was the unmistakable hut of Baba Yaga, surrounded by its fence of human bones. And on its chicken legs it stood. Now Vasilisa tried to walk to the front door, but the house was a stubborn house and enchanted too. And every time she tried to walk to the front door, the house would get up and turn and move and dance pulling the front door just out of her reach. 
don't worry, said the doll. I know the spell. You must stay to the house. Turn your back to the forest and your front to me. And so Vasilisa did, in as loud and confident a voice as she could muster. And so the house turned around, and it sank down on its haunches, and its door was still. And with as much bravery as she could muster, Vasilisa walked up to the door, and she knocked on it. And there stood Baba Yaga with her nose and her chin jutting out so far that they seemed to touch each other, and there were growths on her face. Well, she said, who is this come to my door? Perhaps someone else for my soup pot. Perhaps another few feet of bone to add to my fence. And now at this point, the boy that I would tell the story to, he, he's one of my favorite tell stories too, because he would get so into it. He'd be like, the witch is going to eat her. Um, I just, I feed off of that. I love it when someone gets into my stories like that and I'd know I had hooked him and he was no longer thinking about his anxiety or missing his regular staff or the fear that you know I wouldn't be able to understand him because part of of storytelling is a feedback it's an exchange between the storyteller and the listener if I I'm going to tell a good story. I have to know. I have to read his reactions. I have to know what parts to to juice up and what he likes, and what's hooked him and what to skip over because his eyes are glazing over. So he knew at that point that I was paying attention to him as well. And this is kind of why I hate telling stories over the radio because I just have to imagine that there's an audience here and that you all exist and that you're all absolutely riveted onto what I'm saying. And I'm just going to go with that assumption. Now. He wasn't the only person that I told this story to. Um, I had a lot of kids that I worked with there, totally amazing bunch. And one of my one that I was very fond of and very close to was um, a young woman. She had um, not only on top of the series of neurological disorders that she had and developmental disabilities, she had also unfortunately lost her mother when she was eight years old and did not have a very good relationship with her family. Um, And I would tell her this story, too. She loved fairy tales, loved folk tales. She loved the the romantic part, though. With this other kid, he wanted the bones and the guts and the the dead wives in Bluebeard's basement. And with her, though, she, she wanted the stories and the magic. And when I told her this story, I had to tell her for very different reasons. And that brings us to the second function of the story, which is to teach. Now, this young woman, she had very, very, even though her mother had died almost more than a decade previously, that mother wound had never healed. And... I can't imagine what she was going through, having lost so much, having, because she had to live in a res uh, school, because of her behaviors, because of um, the, she had Prader-Willi syndrome and needed to be in a completely food secure environment um, to, to prevent her from, um, she had hyperphagia, which is essentially a condition in which somebody cannot control or regulate their hunger. There's no off switch. So she had to be in this environment in order to protect her from herself. So I guess when she had come there, she had weighed over like eight, over um, 300 pounds um, and weighed significantly less when I started working with her. But she had been, because of this, she had been cut off from her family pretty much after the fact of losing her mother. So for her, the loss of connection to her family was that was crushing and for her Vasilisa became someone that she could relate to because here was this young woman who desperately needed mother's wisdom and mother's intuition she craved it she talked about it all about needing her mom and all the things that she'd do differently if her mother was around 
And so when I told her the story, it very much became about listening to your own inner voice, listening to what you learned from your mother. And that would be where the doll comes in. Now, going back to poor Vasilisa in the front of Baba Yaga's hut, this, this terrifying old woman. And I, mean, I can't even make up some of the, the, the descriptions of Baba Yaga you find in these Russian fairy tales. They are fantastic. They are so much the, the, the over-exaggerated, terrifying witch. And she, and I embrace it. I love it about her, the fact that she just kind of rocks that. Um, she's got the snaggled teeth and the, the nose and the, that comes out to touch her chin. And I just picture the inside of her hut filled with all kinds of strange alchemical oddities and treasures and weird things. Heroes are always coming to Baba Yaga because within that hut always is the key to what they need to succeed on their quest. That's where the boon is. And for Vasilisa, there was fire. But Baba Yaga never just gives anything to anyone. So she looked at Vasilisa and said, Well, dear, you've come for fire. Hmm. I think I could perhaps spare a couple of coals, but you need to help me first. I have a few jobs for you. Now, Baba Yaga, she with a gesture that was anything but clumsy, knocked a bowl of black poppy seeds that had been sitting by her fire into the ashes. And she said, Vasilisa, my dear, my great-granddaughter, it's late, but I imagine that someone as industrious and determined as you would have no problem sorting out all of those poppy seeds, picking them out one by one. I seem to have mixed them in with the ashes. Do it before morning, dear, or you'll be breakfast. And with that, Vasilisa sat down as Baba Yaga went to bed and cried. The task before her seemed impossible, daunting. Who could discern poppy seeds from fire soot? And the doll just looked at her and said, It's okay, Vasilisa. Look. Sleep on it. Mornings are wiser than evenings. You always feel better the next day. Go to sleep. Don't worry about it. It'll be taken care of. So Vasilisa, unsure if she could trust the doll, went to sleep. When she woke up the next day, the poppy seeds were in the bowl and all of the ashes from the fire were neatly swept into the dustbin. Baba Yaga was furious, of course. She never expected this little girl to pass her tests. So she set another challenge for the girl. And this is the part of the story that always changes with the telling. When I'm te- one of the beautiful things about oral tradition is that every storyteller and every author or bard or whatever to, to retell something is never going to do it the exact same way. And I tend to change some of the tasks because how many kids know what a poppy seed looks like unless they've eaten a muffin that day. So generally when I tell the story, the next task is one that they're familiar with, at least they've heard of, and that is to find the proverbial needle in a haystack. Baba Yaga drags Vasilisa out into her fields, and Baba Yaga in her fields has these epic seeds, these fiery white mares that will feature, that feature in other stories, many times heroes have to come and get a heroic steed to catch up with a bad guy. Those heroic steeds need to eat. And in those haystacks are five needles that Baba Yaga just happened to have misplaced. And she needs Vasilisa to find them. And if she does not find them, well, poor girl will just have to be worked into the masonry of the house somehow. And so Vasilisa sat down and cried and she had just spent the entire day before this cleaning the Yaga's hut top to bottom and boy was that thing dusty. I mean there were things crawling around under the furniture that you would not believe and she had put up with all of that and now here at sunset as the light was dimming she had to find these needles. 
she sat down and cried, and her doll turned to her and said, It's okay. Mornings are wiser than evenings. Go to sleep. You'll feel better in the morning, and I'll take care of this. So reluctantly, Vesalisa nodded off. And when she woke up the next day, all of the hay was in a neat bundle, great big bale, and the needles were clutched in her hand. Oh, Baba Yaga was so furious, she could have ripped out what little hair stuck to her head. One more task, dearie, she said. One more task. You complete this, and maybe, just maybe, maybe I'll give you the coal. Let us not. I could probably make a nice birdhouse out of your skull. We'll see. And so with that, she took Vasilisa to a giant chamber at the back of her hut. And this hut had some interesting rooms, some that seemed far too big to be in such a small building. And this chamber was like a cavern. And it was full of flax. And there was a spindle, a Russian spindle. And I don't know if you've ever seen a Russian spindle, but it's not a big spinning wheel. It's a little piece and you put it in a bowl and you twirl it with your hands and as you twirl it you run the thread through your finger the wool through your fingers and spin it onto this and Vasilisa sat down on the floor and she began to try to spin the flax spin it for hours and hours and hours until her eyes grew tired and she realized that it was midnight and the last of the candle stuff was about to burn away, and the doll said to her, just don't worry. But already she was starting to cry because there was no way. And by now her family was probably frozen, and it all seemed so hopeless. And the doll said, it's okay. Go to sleep. I'll take care of things. Mornings are wiser than evenings." And so Vasilisa did. And when she woke up the next day, all of the uh, all of the flax had been spun. Now, when you're dealing with a darkness in your life, whether it be mental illness or unsurmountable situations, and this is something that I've repeated to the people I've worked with, I've repeated to family, to friends, and to myself that that thought mornings are wiser than evenings, that every insurmountable thing looks a little bit better in the morning is very, very, um, it's true. I mean, I've had so many nights where I've gone to sleep, the world is spinning around my head, and I've woken up, and everything is in perspective, or the answer has just presented itself. And it was in me all along. And that's the thing that I would use this story to teach this young woman that I worked with. That even though she struggled, even though she didn't have the family bonds or the support network that she wishes she had, she had the wisdom from the time that she was with her mother. She did have the things that her mother taught her, which is in the story what the doll represents. But she also had her own intuition and her own instincts. And if she can step back from the problem, from her horrible situation, then she could get through. She just had to take it a day at a time. And for her, this was a powerful lesson in the story. Now, there's a reason why I love this story so much and it's not just because of a fun story to tell or that I get a lot of really good gasps when I start describing the creepy hut and the skeleton heads and milking it for all it's worth because I love doing that I'm a storyteller it's, I, I live off of the reactions and the feedbacks it's also because this is a story that was very powerful for me you see a year before I started working at this 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 um res school. I was in the worst time of my life. I was in the 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 space that I call the Yaga's hut. And symbolically the Yaga's hut is 
any overwhelming, consuming time, any any place where you um, it's that it's the shit you go through, man. It's what pardon the language, but it's everybody has been there. It is the dark hour. It is the impossible, overwhelming, all-consuming task. And I would tell you, a year before I had been working at this school, I had had a bad situation. I had put my trust in spiritual leaders that were out to take advantage of me financially and use me to help promote themselves. Um, I had driven a wedge between myself and my family, in part over religion, and my family definitely fed into that. But I was in a place where I wasn't speaking to my family. I had moved away from home um, to the other side of the state. I had a lot of anger. Um, I was not a person that I would recognize, and I was not a person I would like. I was bitter. I was angry. And... I was in a place of hurt. And what made it worse was that the position I had been in, that, that working for those, those spiritual leaders who ended up taking advantage of me, came about because I, I as a pagan, worked with Baba Yaga as a goddess. At the time, I considered her my patron. And I invoked her. I asked for a place of spiritual growth. She put me in what I thought with it. And I got my heart broken and my butt kicked, basically. And I was bitter and I was angry. I had lost my faith in the gods. Um, I was a wreck, basically. And I was trying to figure out where it all added up, and I began to look more at the the metaphor of the Yaga's hut, the impossible task you go through. And I began to look at the characters who go through that hut. Vasilis is not the only one. There are princes who have gone there and been put to impossible tasks. There have been other children sent by evil stepmothers who just seem to love using the Yaga as a, a stepchild disposal. But all of them... All of the heroes that managed to come out of there come out with two things. One, the boon that they were seeking, you know, whether it be fire or the heroic feet of the horse, or two, and two, their compassion, their essence, who they are intact. You do not survive, you cannot survive the Yaga's hut by being bitter. Always, they have to have some kind of act of kindness, whether it be helping one of her servants or showing mercy to an animal or Vasilisa taking care of her doll and loving her family. And that's what gets them through. So for me, they also come out less naive than they were when we went through. I mean, Vasilisa was very naive when she went in there. She still trusted her stepmother and stepsister. She wanted to help them. She wanted to make this family work. Coming out of the Yaga's hut and realizing who the Yaga was, and it opened her eyes to the people in her life. It made her less naive. My experience with these unscrupulous people, my whole upheaval that led me, led to me moving across the state, it opened my eyes. It made me less naive in a way that I desperately needed the crap out of me spiritually and emotionally. But, you know, to quote Into the Woods, I knew things then that I never knew before. And I couldn't have said this at that time, but I'm in a place now where I'm a lot stronger for it. And I learned things both spiritually, both experientially and, you know, I think common sense that I didn't know then and that I don't necessarily know that I went through this stuff for the reason, but I invoked the yaga. So I was going to get what the yaga does, which is kick the crap out of you with impossible tasks and rebuild you, make you earn the things that you asked for, for powers that you never 
knew of or have before. So for me, when I was retelling that story, it became about making sense of the world, which is the third function of storytelling. We look at whether it be a film or a sacred text down to an episode of, you know, to a a, a Star Wars movie. And I am very pop culture pagan friendly. Um, I think every story has the power to be this for a person. It's the thing that helps the world make sense. And for me, the Baba Yaga story became the thing that made everything I had gone. It was, it was the picture that I could put myself in. It was the context I could use to rationalize what happened to me. And I'm not saying what happened to me was necessarily for a reason. I'm not saying that bad things happen for a person's greater good because sometimes bad times, bad things happen and they just suck. But if you're smart, if you're clever, if not smart or clever, it's not a matter of being smart or clever, but if you can look at it from the narrative of what have I gained from this? How have I come out stronger? Whether that be, you know, what was in the great plan for me to have this, why did this happen? Or just, okay, the fact of the matter is I went through this experience let me find some kind of spin, let me find some kind of power, or even just some kind of way to channel my anger and my hurt that isn't a way that's going to destroy everyone around me or make me this this bundle of bitterness, but in a way that's productive and better. What's my power? What's my boon? What did I get from walking out of the Yaga's hut alive? Now, Vasilisa, she got her boon. She walked, when the Yaga saw that she had passed the third test, she realized this girl had something special. She was cunning, and there was something magical about her. And she asked Vasilisa, how is it that you survived all of these tests? And Vasilisa had to be honest with her, because she was still, even though less naive, still an honest person, and she said, I have this doll, I have this talisman that my mother gave me, and it speaks, and it gives me advice, and it does things. And the Yaga stepped back from the doll because she knew that was a thing of power. But she also knew that a doll like that didn't work unless the person who possessed it was worthy of it. Okay, she said, you win. Let me give you fire. You have passed every test. You have worked hard these last few days. Every time I've seen you, no test, no one thing I put in front of you during the day daunted you, and nothing that I put to you at night was incomplete. So here's your fire. Baba Yaga didn't just give her a coal or a bit of tinder. No, she took a skull from her collection, and she put flame in it, the flame of life. And she put a chain on it so that Vasilisa could hold this flaming skull as a lantern and as a talisman. And she sent the girl home. Now, Vasilisa's stepmother and stepsisters, they expected her not to come back So they were shocked to see her carrying what looked like a burning beacon or torch of power in her hand, this lantern, this skull's head, this this thing. But she had it facing away from them. When they opened the door to greet her with false smiles, hiding their dismay, she turned the lantern to put the skull's face glared at them. And in some versions, 
the skull simply terrified them and drove them away. Sometimes I just tell it that way, especially when I'm telling it to kids. But this is an adult radio show, and fairy tales are dark and gruesome. So as it is told in the original, the skull burned up the stepmothers and the stepsisters until they were nothing. Now, this is definitely a story of, of justice and vindication. And when I was retelling this, about that, that year that I had moved down to Cape Cod, I, I needed some justice and some vindication. Or I wanted some. But more than that, I needed to feel like I had gone, I needed to make sense of what I had gone through. And I needed a symbol, and I needed to get past it. So this brings us to the fourth function of storytelling in stories, and that is to create much-needed rites of passage and to create ritual. And, I mean, a rite of passage <laughs> might be, you know, making out in the backseat of the car from the, the story that is Greece, or, you know, it can be just about anything in this modern context. For me, it doesn't have to be a, a ritual in a religious setting or a magical setting, but in this case it was. So I was, I said that I was very bitter the year that I moved down to Cape Cod, but honestly I was very lucky. I'm probably, I was probably living in one of the most beautiful places in the country. I'm biased. I love the Cape. Wish I didn't have to leave it. Um, and at the time, I was working in a shop in the center of Wellfleet, and to get from my house to the shop, I had to walk to the end of my road, walk into the woods. There was a, like a, a sandy patch and peninsula full of just forest, which wasn't all that dense um, during the day, and then walk over a footbridge into town over a creek, a big tidal. They call it a creek. It's basically like a tidal estuary thing so it's pretty long footbridge and it's beautiful and sunny at night, and during the day but around 10 o'clock when I was closing up my shop and walking back it was transformed and for me this this trail became the 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 dark forest of the folktales and the the films if any of you have seen into the woods recently it was the woods and for me it became a symbolic walk to the Yaga's hut. This was her domain, and I wanted to claim my power. I wanted to claim my boon. I wanted to. I wanted my reward for all the s h i t I went through leading up to this point. So I walked into those woods, and I came out on the other side. And, yeah, I was scared walking through those woods at night. It could be very creepy. But you had beautiful skies. The Cape has some of the best skies you will ever see. So I had the stars above me, and I'd come out onto the beach. I was at the end of my road, and I just kept walking. And there was an old railway bridge that's just totally in ruins. It forms a natural henge. At night, there's... um, these pylons come up out of the water, these wooden pylons that used to support a bridge. It's not there anymore, and it looks like a natural henge. And I use this as a ritual spot because it was sort of hidden, tucked behind a dune and right on the water, so you had the sort of energy of where the trains used to rush through. And one of the things that you can find there, in addition to really cool things like railway studs, um, are is bits of coal that have been run through a blast furnace of the train and that spilled out as it was going over the bridge over the estuary. And so I needed a ritual. And then sometimes when you need a ritual, you're going to find all the elements line up and you will have everything you need for that moment. Or you could just use it, and this is what I had. And there was coal on the ground. And I think at this point, I might have been walking with, with my partner who found the coal for me and suggested I do this, or I might have been by myself. I can't quite remember which, but I pick up the coal. And, it's you know, coal is a stone that's an element of fire. And there's... Um, and when it's coal that has gone through, like, the, the furnace 
of a of a train, sometimes it gets this beautiful glassy context, almost it almost almost like like a darker obsidian kind of call. It's cool. So I take it and I you know I might have cast a circle. I don't know. I don't always cast circles, but in that moment, that piece of coal was my burning skull. That was my fire. That was my boon. That was my power. And into that burning skull, I poured all of my hate and all of my anger and all of that poison and all of that bitterness that I had been feeling. And before me, I just envisioned that skull burning out over the water in the the wreck and ruin of that train bridge, and it was there. And I gave it all of my crap, and then I claimed it as my own. I am the bearer of the burning skull. I am free. And from that point on, I was able to do more. I'm not going to say that that fixed everything, but I was able to really start the process of letting go. And having a story to help me make sense of it and having a story to help me be a guide to create a ritual or to craft my actions, to create to create something tactile that I could do to let go and get me through this. Um, that was that was like that was great. That was I. Yeah, if you've done a ritual, you know. So I'm not even gonna explain. But um, so that was the utmost. That was my biggest experience with using this story to create ritual. And I had in the past done some small rituals um, using it and stuff. But afterwards, not long afterwards, I have an amazing friend who is um, who sells stones and crystals and who taught me to do stone readings. And she goes gem shows all the time. I asked her to start looking for a crystal skull card from Red Jasper. And Red Jasper is a stone I really associate with the yoga. It's a fire stone. When I'm, when I'm describing that stone in stone readings, I often say it's a fire under the cauldron. Um, or, and I, I, wanted, I wanted this Red Jasper skull so I can hold in my hand this symbol of everything that I have now coming out of what I have gone through, all of the changes and all of the positive changes that have happened since then. And it was pretty incredible. And I, my friend actually, I think she went to like three gem shows looking for it, didn't find it either, and went back to her house and realized she had it, had one buried under a pile of junk somewhere, and she sent it to me. Um, I use it in my, my energy work a lot. I use it in my stone readings a lot. I think um, Brett Wilhelman actually got it in the star, uh, stone reading I did on the air a while back, but it's my favorite stone in my entire collection. Um, so coming up on the end of the hour, I actually fill the well, Queen Mother Amatu helped me fill the hour a little bit, but I'm very happy. I was worried that I wasn't going to, but to review, folks, uh, the four functions of storytelling, the four, and these aren't by any means an exhaustive list. There are many other uses and powers that story have, stories have, and I'll touch on those maybe in later shows, um, but for right now, the ones that we focused on today are... Um, to distract or escapism, to teach, to make sense of the world around us, and to offer us offer us structure for rites of passage and ritual. Um, that last one, I have to give credit to Joseph Campbell. He writes so much about this. I would recommend anybody who... Well, honestly, I would I, I I recommend Hero with a Thousand Faces. It's very academic. Um, I think that um, the Power of Myth is probably more accessible. Uh, that one is written as a, a dialogue. Um, it's really good. But 
just I encourage you guys. I haven't been able to look at the chat through all of this just because I'm not tech savvy enough to do anything with Main Street Universe right now other than talking to this microphone. So if there are people in the chat, hi. Hope you enjoy the show. Um, and really thank you for listening. Next time I'm going to be more tech savvy and I will take questions and callers. Oh, I, I see how to look in the chat. Oh, launch chat here. Hold on. Thank you guys again for this wonderful trial run of my show. Uh, thank you to Daniel Michael for giving me this opportunity. And um, I want to just give a plug to my blog, which is... Hold on. The Nerdy Pagan on Tumblr, and the URL for that is nerdypagan.tumblr.com. Nerdypagan.tumblr.com. There's no space in there. And the blog focuses on um, theology, pop culture, current events, the, um, and uh, lately now it's been focusing a lot on. Um, Disability Advocacy, uh, I talk a lot more about my work uh, in human services, as well as uh, gender issues and the like. It's very eclectic, just like me. So uh, check it out. And um, we are ending this. I'm going to end it a little early. So thank you, all of you who have been listening and any people who might listen to the archives later. Um and I hope to hear to see and eventually type to hear from you and interact with you as well as talk at you next month. Have a great night, everybody. Forbidden archaeology, forgotten history, divination magic cryptozoology judy was boring hello then judy discovered chumbacasino.com it's my little escape now judy's the life of the party oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon whoa take it easy judy the chumba life is for everybody so go to chumbacasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.